Okay, so I think we know what a startup is now. Yeah, more or less. This is the QUT Blue Box Podcast. You're listening to the QUT Blue Box Podcast. I am not Dr. Tim McTaggart. I am Liliana and I am going to be hosting today's episode. With me today is Dr. Tim McTaggart. Hey! <laughs> I've taken over your podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and also, Stephen Martin. Hi. So today we're going to be talking about what it's like to apply to one of our programs, mm. what you go through, the trauma, the triumphs, the tears, and then later on we're also going to discuss how do you know if you have a very good idea or not. Mm. Mm. First up, Stephen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I'm a research engineer at the Australian Centre for Robotic Vision here at QUT. Uh, my day job is sort of anything and everything for Keeping, from keeping the robots running to writing software for the researchers to procuring new toys and items for us to do interesting research with. Toys, how cool. cool. <laughs> well, the latest toy was a new robot arm, so we've been uh, setting that up the last few days. But, uh, yeah, awesome. they're not really toys, but we can call them toys. And if people want to see more about the Australian Center for Robotic Vision, Center for Robotic Vision, thank you, Tim. So there's the so there's roboticvision.org is the website. So the reason why Stephen is here is because not only is he a roboticist, but he also did our QT Blue Box Robotics Accelerator last year. So take us back to 2017 when you were working on something and you happened to see the applications open for the robotics accelerator, what made you interested in applying? Yeah, so one of the ideas I pitched to the to Peter and uh, developed for the center was an idea of a cloud-based distributed um, robotic vision platform. So a way we, that we could upload images to the cloud and then extract information that was useful to a robot. So such as classifying objects or uh, doing localization so the robot knows where it is. And that was developed through the center. And at around the time the Robotics Accelerator came up, we were I was looking at ways that we could take this and turn it into a real product. So I'd um, been through a few other Blue Box events. So the... Ubercamp? Ubercamp, yeah. I did that about six months before. Mm-hmm. And this was sort of one of the ideas that I had when I went to Ubercamp and I pitched it there. Um, wasn't quite at the stage where I was ready to take this as a, forward as a product, but I then pitched it to Peter and we got it up as a, he was interested in developing it as a platform for the center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we then set up a prototype and ported some of our algorithms to the service um, and we're using them as demos for the center. And it was sort of a very, uh, very good timing that the accelerator came up then because mm-hmm. we'd gotten to the stage where we had a prototype working we had a proof of concept we had the idea that we could take this further but weren't really sure where to go from there mm-hmm. and so once you got into the accelerator what was something that you found that you had no idea about once you got into it so i've always had lots of ideas and lots of things that we could i, I thought i could do but i guess no business experience and i think understanding the, what a product is, what value a product adds, and how to market and sell that product was one of the big things that after starting and getting a bit into the accelerator sort of dawned on me that I had no idea. <laughs> and what week was that? No. <laughs> so that was probably about week three as we were working through all of the, uh, the MIT coursework. And you really have to sit down and look at your idea and look at your market and look at 
if anybody's actually going to buy this. And I think about midway through, we decided that the world wasn't quite ready for a mm-hmm. cloud-based robotic vision system and went in a bit of a different direction. And you were also working at the same time while doing the accelerator? Yeah. So the accelerator was a very stressful time. I was doing a number of things, plus working full-time, plus trying to actively participate in the accelerator. So we were, I was working four days a week, mm-hmm. um, one day a week officially on the accelerator and pretty much every evening and every weekend working on our company and our ideas and our products just to try and get things moving along. Oh, wow. I think it's really important to also note that when you do come into the accelerator, it does take quite a bit of time Mm. into it. In hindsight, I think dedicating more time would have been better for Mm. us, but... For sure. See, did you hear Tim? He was like, yes. Yes. Yep, yep. Your work would have been much better. No. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately, the reality of... uh, yeah. Yeah. Life gets in the way. Yeah. I think people underestimate generally how much time's involved in building a startup. You know, it's not a toy thing or a play thing on the side. You really got to put time into it. And an accelerator should help, you know, speed that along and build the skill sets that Steve said you know, he didn't have, but it still takes a lot of time and energy. Did you find with the cohort that you were with, was everybody working at the same speed that you were? Um, I think it varied a lot. Um, there was a number of people with equipment such as full-time jobs like ourselves who really had to find extra time to make this work. And we tried to put as much effort in as we could to actually devoting time to it. I think our partners may have been slightly displeased with how much time we spent on the accelerator when every night and every weekend we're sitting at our computer (laughs) trying to understand what our market is or developing our products so that we can have a prototype out there testing in the field. but I think in the end of the day, we learned a lot through the accelerator. And it was well worthwhile. So would you recommend it for somebody who is working full time? Realistically, looking back, if you can be on your product and your idea full time, I think you have a much better chance of succeeding. Um, unfortunately, like most people like myself, I had to maintain my normal job just because life is still ticking along. I, mm-hmm. I have bills to pay. I have rent to pay. But uh, I think if you have the financial capacity, being able to devote 100% of your time to your startup is much more likely to make it successful. So going back, it's week three, mm-hmm. and you start to realize, okay, so maybe I am not as business savvy as I thought I was. So what did you do then? Yeah, so I guess we looked at this and looked at all the other robotic startups and computer vision and AI startups that are all taking off all over the world. And we thought, we have a good idea. We can do this. We can make, make this product. And I think technically we were very capable. But as far as understanding what value we could add to people and to robotics and to the future, that was where we were lacking a little bit. We didn't have the foresight to sort of think through, well, who is our customer going to be? Mm -hmm. How much are they willing to pay for this? How many robots actually exist that need this right now? And that was sort of the realization that we came to a couple of weeks into the accelerator and had to think about, well, we have this technology. What can we do that's a little bit different with it? Mm Mm-hmm. And did you talk to the entrepreneurs in residence about it? Yeah, so we had some uh, interesting feedback sessions there. <laughs> where Tell was, us about that. Oh, <laughs> look, I think I think the uh, I think the realization that we came to was probably more clear to them than us in the initial sense. We, I guess, we we were pretty attached to what we'd made and what we developed and our idea, our ideas, and where we wanted to go with this. Um, unfortunately, reality doesn't always align with those ideas and we had to rethink whether or not there was actually a market there and whether or not there was something different that we could do that still aligned with our technology Mm 
mm-hmm. in order to capitalize on this op- opportunity we've been given. So with the entrepreneurs in residence, tell me a little bit about that um, relationship and how they helped and what... And how awesome they were. Yeah, just amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I think <laughs> the one of the things is you can get very focused on what you're doing and having an outside perspective to point out things that you may not necessarily want to hear or want to see is a very useful thing to have. And it's and they were somebody who kept us, um, I guess, on track and accountable. And without that, well, we probably would have got to the end of the accelerator, still pursuing what we were originally developing with nobody at the end who would have, ever would have bought it. Mm-hmm. So. so they help guide you. Yeah, exactly. It was a it was feedback and um, feedback and direction direction. I think to yeah, just keep us on track and keep us somewhat in reality rather than on our own little journey by ourselves. <laughs> and were they good to work with? Yeah, absolutely. We could go <laughs> in and have an honest conversation about everything that was going on and how stressed we were and how hard we were working. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was good to have somebody we could go talk to just about yeah. what was going on and somebody who at least understood um, the idea of what we were going through because most of the other people in our uh, university and corporate world don't really understand what it is to build a startup and the hours that you're putting in outside of your normal job to try and get this somewhere. Mm-hmm. So now you're fully into it. You have realized that you may have to change your idea. You're working a lot. You're spending your nights working on this. Your partners are upset with you. And then <laughs> you're thinking, what happens now? How did you think of the next the next idea or where you are going to pivot? So I, I'm not really... I'm not really sure exactly where we came up with this, um, came up with our next step. It was, it was no it was all defining a point. <laughs> yeah, it was, we sort of were working through, working out who our customers could be, um, all of the exercises to work out what our um, minimum sort of, what, what's the what's the word again? Minimum viable product? Not minimum viable product, the minimum, the uh, TAM. TAM is oh, the word I'm right. looking for. And just looking at the user bases we had for what our product was, our TAM was way too small for it to be viable at this current point in time. Uh, So we sort of looked at that, and I think that's where we got to moving into a more retail space. So in the end, our product was using the same infrastructure that we built and the same underlying uh, communications and um, algorithms to do analysis of people in stores. So looking at counting the number of people, identifying what their gender and estimating their age uh, using computer vision and um, deep learning techniques and then applying that in a retail space. Mm-hmm. So that was where we ended up, which is very different to applying computer vision and uh, computer vision to robotics. Very similar underlying technology and it was well aligned, but it was a big pivot for us and not something that we were really familiar with. So we had a product. We could we knew it worked. Um, we were looking for test cases. We had a number of groups in QT who were help, helping us out testing it. We had some installed in the uh, foundry. Foundry. Yep. We also had a couple installed in the esports group rooms, mm-hmm. where oh, just yep. to monitor people and understand where, what, who was coming in and out of the space, so they could use that for getting additional funding from QUT and validating that people were actually using the spaces, uh, spaces that were provided. So, did you know what validation was before you went into the accelerator? We had no idea, and I don't think what we had really counted as validation. We had people using it, and we we had people who saw it as a valuable product. But as far as being able to sell this to a big corporate identity, we really struggled to get that over the line. And I think that comes back a bit to who our team was and where we were going and what we were really passionate about. 
Okay. So, Tim, just for um, mm. anybody who doesn't understand what validation is, can you explain to us what, what yeah, it is? I mean, validation is pretty simple, right? It's just about going out and testing whether anyone wants what it is that you're trying to buy. So you, so, you think that you've built something people want, but you need to find out if that's the case or not, and that's the validation. It's a validation of the idea by going out and finding out if they will, in fact, pay for it. Mm-hmm. You didn't know what validation was. Was there something else that you also picked up in the accelerator? Oh, there's... Lots and lots of things. We learned so much. Um, I guess the basics of forming a company, setting up a company, how all of that works and the mechanics behind making decisions, um, getting things approved and actually how, how meeting minutes work for directors is, was a big, a big learning curve for us as well. Um, another big thing that we learned throughout the process was just about IP, how, how that mm-hmm. license process worked because uh, we ended up with a license for the stuff we developed at QUT uh, for our company. So that was that was a very interesting process. Mm-hmm. And I think the way we thought about it before going into the accelerator and coming out of the other end, we understand a lot more about how Blue Box uh, works with that process and how IP is really valued. That's really not, not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And I think <laughs> as researchers, we yeah. think about our ideas and our the software we've written as our own, but the reality is that we work for an organization and being able to use that is an opportunity that Blue Box affords, but you have to understand what you're what you're trying to license and what that has to have value for both sides of the group there mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So would you say, would you do the accelerator again if you had the chance to? Yes. Um, we, I don't think we need, we would do it again Um with the same sort of idea in the same sort of space. Um, we've got we got a lot out of the last accelerator, but I would definitely recommend the accelerator to other people and it's a great way to get started and boost and understand a lot more about business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at this stage we're recovering, we've got enough <laughs> on our plate. <laughs> <laughs> and you also got to go to Japan? Uh, so Gavin, uh, my colleague Gavin Sudri, mm-hmm. he went to Japan and represented our company. He pitched at their one of their... Events? It did. He presented. So uh, SoftBank ran SoftBank World, which mm-hmm. is about all about their robotics tech. Oh, so this is SoftBank Robotics World, um, and so and Gavin had a chance to talk there, which is really cool. Fantastic. Hmm. And so within the accelerator, uh, did you get to meet a whole lot of other startups as well, or was it just so busy that you? Uh, so no, we met a bunch of people through the uh, sessions we had on on the Wednesdays, and there were some really interesting stories that we got out of that, and just learnings about. How things, how there's no one path mm-hmm. to getting anything done. There is so many ways and so many different paths that these companies have come into existence and found revenue streams. And I think it's not a very, for us, it was an eye opener about how many different ways there is to accomplish the same task. You've completed the accelerator now, mm-hmm. and you've learned a lot. Yeah, we we, well, we're still running, so I think we learned a lot from the accelerator. So, what would you say, looking back, was one of the biggest benefits that you've got out of doing the accelerator and saying working with me is fine yeah, absolutely Tim. working with you was, uh, was one of the there best we have a yeah. highlight <laughs> um so. for us i think the actual understanding the value that our products or our, our ideas can add and having being able to translate that from what we think in our heads to something that we can actually validate and test um, that would be the biggest takeaway that we we took from the accelerator so we've developed a couple of things since then. We we went back and decided that we took a break for a few months um, after the accelerator just to mentally recover from what 
from the well the enormous amounts of work that we've done while trying to work full time, but also to reflect on the journey that we've taken and the product that we developed and whether or not this was something that we were actually passionate about continuing. And I think at the end of the day, we decided to go in a different direction and do um, just some generic robotics consulting work to start with. And that's been relatively successful. We have a number of clients. We have a fairly regular income stream. Um, but we weren't really passionate about the retail space. We wanted to keep working in robotics. And while we had a product that we think could have been successful and was a good idea, without that passion, without that motivation, it just wasn't something that we were willing to put this amount of time and effort into to get it to the stage where it was a viable company. So did changing changing the angle, is that something that the accelerator helped to be able to sort of say, okay, if it isn't working, kind of pivot, move on? Is that something you picked up from the accelerator? Absolutely. And I think without pivoting at the start, we would have been in a far worse place by the end of the accelerator. We have continued down the path that we thought in our minds was a good idea, but at the end of the accelerator mm-hmm. had no no real uh, revenue stream and probably packed up shop a lot earlier. So I think being able to refocus our ideas is something that we took away from the accelerator. And even though we did it again at the end, I think that's a big learning, to, learning curve for us in the fact that if you have an idea and it's not a good idea, it's not always a good idea to hang on to that forever because unless other people think it's a good idea and you are willing to put the effort into uh, sell that idea, it's it's not necessarily going to be fruitful for you or your company in the long term. Mm. And what's it like um, receiving not so positive feedback? And how would you is – is there any tip that you would give to any teams coming on as to how do you receive that? Look, Should you just throw your glass of water at Tim? Toys out of the cot? Yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> We're used to that. Look, I don't think anybody gives negative feedback without some reason behind it. Mm. Um, it either means you haven't explained your idea well enough, you haven't articulated that correctly, or you're missing something yourself in in your business or in your in your team. And I think for us, when we ended up in the retail space, having somebody in our team who could actively pursue and sell that was something that we were missing. And I think we received a lot of feedback on we needed to validate this product in the Mm -hmm. space we were trying to sell it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was unfair. It's a bit hard to hear when you've been working so hard after many months and having a very cool technology that we developed, but it it was not invalid. And I think being able to listen to that and take that on board and use that is a really important skill. Um, So my advice would be Listen to the feedback. Don't be disheartened by it, but try and understand why you're getting that feedback. Mm-hmm. And so, Tim, on your mm-hmm. end, um, sometimes you do have to give negative feedback. Most of the time, it's just towards me. Mm-hmm. So, what is it like? Um, well, it depends. I mean, you know, you're really just trying to help people mm-hmm. in the end. And sometimes you can be really direct. And people have different styles too, right? I mean, your time, I know, is very, very direct compared to me. Um, I'll try. I try and be. I suppose more constructive. Not that he's not constructive, but um, yeah, you're trying to help people move down the pathway. And I think the important point Steve made was that you know you need to startups need to listen because if you can't listen, then we can't really help you. And there's sort of not really any point in being the accelerator to a large extent because a big part of it's not just the money that you get, but it's that feedback and, and advice that you can't see for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. I think you pointed out some of the things I just talked about. Along the, along the road in the accelerator and us trying, we, we definitely tried to address some of these, mm. but I think 
another realization for us is that's just not who we are. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for you guys and for all startups, you know, being really, as Steve said, being really invested in what you're doing is really critical because things get tough. It's hard work. You put stuff off. You don't go out on Friday night. You spend your own money on the on the idea. And if you're not really committed to seeing it through, that, that makes it doubly tough you know, so to, to get through the hard times. But, you know, in terms of providing feedback, you know, we're always looking for ways to help people move down the road. That's the whole point of the acceleration and the accelerator is rather than you stumbling across those lessons yourself, we can kind of say, hey, look, I think this is going to be a problem for you. You need to kind of fix this, change that. And that's all we're ever trying to do, right? Um, Mm. We don't give universally negative feedback. In fact, even when we see ideas that we think are genuinely bad, like most mentoring, we'll try and point people to things that, they can find that will reinforce mm-hmm. that. So we often get people that come in and want to do something and you kind of go, have you Googled that? And they go, no, we haven't. You go, well, let me just, and while I'm on my mobile phone, I go, oh, this is seven companies already doing that. Maybe you should have a closer look at it, right? Mm-hmm. That's really the mechanism um, rather than a brute kind of, that's a bad idea, I suggest you change it. That's not really the way we work. That's good. So you do give some feedback and then some more direction. And it seems as though that lesson and that stuff that you get from it can then help you move on to something mm. that might even be better for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think my, well, I, w- I would say as, as a startup, by the end of the accelerator, we had probably, we, we, we were looking at closing down and I would say it was a failure. Mm. But the learnings we took from starting that, uh, developing, that first, first, uh, developing that first product and actually going through the process mm was really the value that it added for us. Yeah. And our company, as such, is still going, and we've been relatively successful, yeah. I think, in the last six months. But, yeah, it was definitely a journey to get to that point. Yeah. Do you think you could have been as successful had you not gone through the learnings of the accelerator? I think the word accelerator is the key there. I think we would have got there in the end, but it would have taken a lot longer. Mm. It's an interesting point, right? I guess uh, it's, and it goes to the point of what we look for when we select teams for these things. So, you know, Gavin and Steve, fantastic technical capability, good relationship. Clearly, they can work together. They can develop stuff. Uh, can they develop the right stuff? Well, that's what we're there to help them find. You know, when we know that those some of those teams haven't got the right idea, but they've got the right team. Um, and it usually takes two or three goes to find the thing that's really going to make them successful. I mean, occasionally people get it right first time, but it's at this very, very early stage that we kind of work with. It's pretty uncommon. And so, yeah, we're looking for teams that have got good capability, good dedication, good focus. They're going to work. We know they're going to work on it. Um, and the idea is less important, but we know they're going to see it through. And, and also that they're coachable. You know, they listen to what we're going to say because if they don't listen to us, well, we can't help. You mm-hmm. know, so uh, there are a couple of tips we kind of often give to people, whether they digest them or not, it's another question. But, <laughs> but that's some of the things we really look for in, in the people that come into our programs. And what do you think was most memorable about the Accelerator? Probably, so we were accepted into the uh, Blue Box Innovation Challenge. Yes. And the pitching back-to-back for the uh, <laughs> demo day and then pitching for that the very next day in front of a very big audience was probably the most memorable thing that I, I took out of the Accelerator. Because? Uh, it was just a really great experience. And I think having, well, everybody there watching us talk about our idea and then being able to get feedback on it from the panel and just, we we were up there, we were on stage and yeah, it really gave us some critical but useful feedback in a very short time period and got to see everybody judge our idea and yeah. put it out there. Yeah. I mean, you really put your head above the parapet when you do that, right? I mean, you have to have faith in what you're doing if you're going to do that. Yeah. And I think... The, some of the feedback we got probably shaped our later decisions yep. that we made about our product. Yeah. 
Fantastic. I actually saw you pitch. Have you ever pitched before or did you sort of learn on the fly? Uh, well, I guess in our work, we do presentations and other, other stuff, basically telling other researchers about our, about our work. Um, so I guess that is sort of my prior work in this, in this space. Um, so nothing as far as a product I've never pitched before. Uh, the QT accelerator was the first demo day was the first time I'd really pitched in front of a group, but I think I treated the demo day as a practice for the, um, for the innovation challenge the next day. And I think the second <laughs> one was better than the first one. And did you get any guidance about fi- uh, pitching from the accelerator or the EIRs? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we practiced and practiced and practiced and there was feedback from other, other teams, other startups, um, Tim and Yotam. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you guys, so within the accelerator, you actually also are able to give feedback within the teams. Absolutely. And it gave us an idea about what the other teams were doing and also um, lets us see how we present and how we answer questions and how we can and just people pointing out I, uh, things we hadn't thought about about our companies. Mm. I think it's, I mean that's a really important part of pitching, right? If you can't convey your ideas simply and clearly to someone who doesn't know what you're doing, then you know you're not getting the point across. And it also means what you're doing is probably a little bit more complicated than it should be. Mm. That's pretty cool. So now you have finished pitching. Your business is going really, really well. Congratulations on that. Um, we've actually also worked together recently, where we have used Nuarda. No, uh, so that that was so that is our latest thing we've developed, which is our BZ Bots, which is our robotics yes. kit. So we have um, basically Gavin. Uh, some of Gavin's prior experience is also he has done most of a teaching degree. So he is very passionate about teaching children, and we're experts in robotics and uh, programming. So I previously had worked, uh, had my own other small business building robotic kits, and Gavin had the teaching experience. So we took two of the things we had existing, and I also do Robot Wars, which is my hobby. <laughs> uh, these were actually little fighting robot kits and combine them together to make a, a robotic system that was rewarding for the kids to play with because they're programming little fighting robots, but also really simple. So we use computer vision to abstract all of the information about the robots. So they have a really simple interface where they say, is my robot here? Make it go there in very, very basic terms. So they can do interesting things, which was something that we saw was missing from other robotic hardware. Excellent. So that what was, that and so was where can we thing. check that out? Uh, so our website is Cirrus Robotics, C I R R U S Robotics dot com dot au, and that's where our profiles are, and that's what we've been working on. But we're testing this with two schools currently, and we've run twenty four workshops. We've got kids who have been marked on this, and that's been fed back into their actual assessment. Oh, so fantastic. we're we're getting there, but we hope to have this ready for actual consumption and release in the end of this year. Excellent. Well, thank you, Stephen. Is there something else that you wanted to mention about the Accelerator? Any advice for anybody who wants to apply? Look, I think it's a really great opportunity. And I think um, if you have an idea, even if it's not an idea that you think is ready now, I would definitely apply and look at it as a way to learn about how to create a business and how to build something for the long term. We are actually going to be discussing whether your idea is any good or not. Mm. So I think we have all seen an episode of Shark Tank. Ah, yeah. (laughs) 
So you have these people who have come out and they're all excited about their ideas and they're wanting to know, can I get some money for it? That's the ultimate test. Yes. They're very happy. They pitch and then the sharks just tear them to bits. As sharks do. As sharks do. (laughs) So I recently saw an article online which is about a woman who has created um, basically the really large stubby coolers for buckets. Yes. So it is. it basically sits at the table. So where Mm. you put your drinks in a bucket, it makes sure that the bucket doesn't spill water everywhere and she has created a few of these she Mm. decided that um she was going to give some away and she was also going to try and sell some to local pubs she got very good feedback on it um she went on accountant and he uh estimated the company to be worth 2.6 million Mm -hmm. and uh she patented this idea Mm -hmm. so she went on shark tank And they basically told her that this idea was a terrible idea. (laughs) And so my question today for both of you is, as an entrepreneur in residence, as a person who has been through a startup, and as a person who has said that you did also change your idea, how is it that you know if you have a really bad idea? Yeah. Well, And we can talk about this. uh, At length. We can talk about the, the bucket stubby. As, okay. a, as an example of it. Well, that one raises a particular issue, which I'll kind of talk about in a sec, I think. But, I mean, the, the, the fundamental thing, and Steve mentioned it, is like I, 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 you don't, you're not the judge of whether an idea is any good. Like you're a bad judge, in fact, of whether it's any good because it's your idea. It's your baby. Um, and that can be problematic because uh, using the baby analogy, a lot of people won't tell you your baby's ugly. Um, in other words, a lot of people won't tell you your idea is bad. I mean, a lot of people say, "Yeah, it's great bucket. Oh, I could use one of those at a, at a barbie. Absolutely fantastic." No, that's great, but really, it's about the market. You know, the people who are going to buy it and whether it adds value to them. Uh, so you've got to find that out because they're the arbiters of whether an idea is good or not. Not you, and not your bud, not your family. Um, it's the people who you, you know you're targeting it at. And so you need to find out, are there are they out there? Are there enough of them out there? And are they willing to pay a price that's going to make money for you on the whole um, and that's this validation thing so you know if you don't go out and validate the idea I mean that's the way to test and, and if you've done that validation that should tell you whether your idea is any good or not so um, so let's talk about this uh, yeah. the the bucket the bucket the mm. stubby bucket that's not what it's called by the way sure. um, <laughs> so let's say I've created yeah. this um, this stubby bucket how would I actually <laughs> How would I actually go about yep. validating this? Yep. Well, the key to it is to, to identify the most likely market for it, or ideally multiple markets, and you want to find the one that's easiest to access, sort of lowest hanging fruit, um, and you want to go and talk to those people. So if, if she or you decided that this stubby bucket thing was for pubs, you go and talk to a whole stack of pubs. If you think it's for casual race goers who are going to the races in, in winter, then you go and ask them. So you just got to find out who your market is and go and ask them. You know, not necessarily whether they like this product, but first of all, you know, for, can they keep beer cool? How do they keep it cool now? Are there some challenges they have that don't get addressed by, you know, the current things they use in keeping their beer cool? And eventually you can get to the question of, I've got a thing. Do you think this thing would, you know, address those needs? If they go, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when can I buy one? Then you're pretty well validated, right? And so, mm-hmm. and so, there, the that's the final judgment, I suppose, on whether an idea is any good or not. And to be fair, you know, the, the sharks, 
they don't know everything um, and there can be a market that they don't understand. Mm-hmm. And there'll be companies that go through the shark tank that get hammered and still go on to be successful if they've done that right work to find the market and understand and meet the needs you know, and add value to them. So. But I think there's a bit of a difference as well about giving one away and or asking somebody yes. if it's a good idea as with, with compared to somebody actually giving you money yeah. or buying this as a third party. Absolutely. Very, very true. And I think you said it previously that that's where you get confused when, when somebody says, yeah, that'd be great, I yeah. could totally use one. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they'll go out and buy no. one. And there's a, I mean, there's a good uh, book called The Mum Test by uh, Rob Fitzpatrick. It's an e-book. Uh, it's a fantastic read. I, I read it with because with my startup, this is the problem I had. I think in the end, my idea was probably not a good one. But I didn't spend enough time asking people who were going to be very critical of my idea. It's very easy to be sort of energetic and excited, and you're doing something innovative and new, and no one's done it before. And 99% of people that you talk to about that will say, "Yeah, sounds great." I mean, that's just the natural reaction. They, you're energetic and excited. Most people want to please you, right? So they'll just say, yeah, fantastic. Um, you need to get to the point where people, uh, you know, and that's why digging into their problem rather than saying, I've got this thing, do you think it's good, is a bad way to approach things. So the, the mum test kind of walks through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really good way of approaching it because, you know, people who are close to you, your mates, your buds, people you're actually happy to talk to and comfortable to talk to probably aren't going to give you the straight answer that you need. So what do you actually think about my bucket? Oh, the bucket, yes. Um, <laughs> again, see, I, people. honestly, I've had, I have people come into the foundry and ask me if their idea is any good. I mean, I'm not the judge of that, right? I can give you my opinion, but I'm a market of one, you know, and I don't have visibility across every product that's ever been made. So my response is, is the idea any good? It would be, who have you spoke, spoken to about it? What have they said? Are they, have they said they're willing to pay, you know, for that? Um, I mean, there's other things that can make an idea a bad one, right? I mean, I know she's got a patent, but or you might have a patent, but it sounds like something that's really, really easy to get around. Yes. You know, and so I can just imagine those things coming out of China at one-tenth of the cost three weeks after you start selling them, right? Yes. So, so let's explain that for mm. a little bit. So um, just because you have a patent doesn't mean that it cannot be replicated. No. It depends on the nature of the coverage of the patent that you've got, but often there's a way to design a similar product or a product that fulfills the same function but in a different way it's different enough that you know um, the patent won't give you coverage the other challenge for startups is if you've got a patent you know, the only way to make use of it is to go to court when someone infringes you right mm. so if, if someone in china infringes you you've got to get them to court or at least a local distributor or someone to court to you know get a judgment that they're infringing and make them stop very few startups can afford that and so you know, any idea that's sort of patentable but it's kind of marginal, which this one sounds like it is, mm. that's really problematic and you can throw a lot of money at a patent when you could have spent it you know, developing a better product. So it's almost not worth it depends. getting it. It depends. I mean, I think we see lots of ideas here at QUT that are definitely worth patenting. Um, there's some that are kind of marginal. Um, yeah, for example, we were talking to a researcher doing work in the drone space, and honestly, the drone space is so saturated with patents. You know, people like DJI and others. It's really, really hard to find a gap that that you can protect something that's commercially viable. Um, most of it's already covered, so there can be all sorts of reasons why a patent, you know, may not be the right course of action. Mm-hmm. Again, my experience, I did a provisional patent application on my innovation, um, and then you know, the company folded. We ran out of money. Uh, and if I'd had that sort of five grand, I either would have lasted a little bit longer, which meant I might have survived, or, um, you know, I wouldn't have had to put that extra money into the company. Either way, uh, that would have been a better outcome. So, you know, patents are – and I think, you know, most patent attorneys and certainly some of the ones that we deal with, they'll be pretty straight with you. And they'll kind of say, look, I just don't think that's worth 
you mm-hmm. know, patenting. You know, they're not out there to take your money just to put a patent application in. And if you do work at QUT or mm. you are a QUT student, you can actually access QUT Blue Box to ask about these things. You can. So we have commercial managers that can help you yep. um, navigate that space. Yes. But back to my stubby bucket. No, is it any good? So I've got this bucket mm. and I have been to 10 pubs mm. and they all said it was an amazing idea. Yeah. So 10 of them want to buy it. Yeah. Again, I, I think that comes back to how many pubs have this problem. The, the, the TAM that we had with the robotics um, cloud service, I guess we, we looked at that for our, our startup and went back and, well, how many robots do normal people have in their houses? And then it's pretty much zero. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, well, who else could we market this to? And then it comes down to universities and uh, hobbyists. But hobbyists aren't going to pay for it. Mm. They might think it's a great idea, but they're not going to pay for it. And then big corporations like, like universities, it's probably not going to be a great revenue stream either, which led us to pivoting from this original idea. Mm-hmm. So there's another one. So you really have to look at how big yeah. your audience actually is. So yeah. one, you have to work out who your audience is. Two, you have to work out how many of them mm. there are and whether they're actually willing to pay yep. for it. And also whether you can reach them. Mm. You know, So, for example, if you were, if you were developing the system, Steve, and it was targeted at you know, defense research – and that includes the Soviets, and you cannot market to them, well, that kind of rules them out, right? Mm-hmm. So, it might be a big market. They might be willing to pay a lot of money for it, but if you can't sell to them, if you can't reach them. So, so there's another part to, you know, the, the total addressable market that, that Steve talked about, the TAM, yeah, you've got to also be able to reach it, mm. you know, and it can be fragmented. It can be, you know, dist- you know there's a whole stack of reasons why that can be really difficult. So, the, the, this is like peeling an onion, mm-hmm. you know, as you go through this process of, I've got an idea, who is it? You know, how many of them are there? How many can I actually reach in a certain time frame at a reasonable cost and all these other sort of questions that you need to ask? Yeah, and looking at the bucket here, it's a fairly niche product and it might not be a bad idea. It might be a great idea, but how many people have this problem and how many pubs mm. are there that serve beer in, bu- in buckets yeah. in Australia? Yeah. Well, and see, this is the other thing. Um, so this idea, stepping away from it, it's mm. no longer my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so stepping away from it, the woman who actually did create this, I think she's from the Northern Territory. And I was right. thinking, yep. I'm not sure whether here in Brisbane we actually serve that many <laughs> beers in buckets. Yeah. And then when we do, I don't know how long they actually last yep. that it will drip on the table. Yeah, like yeah. a lot of the time they're gone pretty quickly. Uh-huh. So I was thinking maybe in that area it is so hot yep. that maybe that is a yep. huge issue and it could possibly work there but maybe not here so again that's about looking at how are you going to expand and is it just going to be something that can only really fit in certain areas which means you can't really grow yeah and i think you know that goes to the point of um people often solve problems they can see Mm. right so that it sort of there was a great concept there in a book called the adjacent possible so you know certain things and you see certain things so you solve certain problems that are kind of adjacent to what you already know so i'm not going to go out and say actually there's a problem with launching rockets because i'm not a rocket scientist Mm -hmm. i just can't see that problem and that's cool but because the problem you can see it can often be confined to your small little area and this is the case with in the northern territory she saw a problem it's probably a legitimate problem in the northern territory but She's not thinking more broadly and identifying yeah. the size of the market. And so here in Brisbane, we may not have that problem. What ends up happening is that she limits herself, yeah. at which point this idea is kind of not a great idea because mm. she can't grow with mm. it. So it depends how you talk about a great idea. There can be an idea that solves a problem, mm-hmm. and that can be a great idea. But as a 
business idea. It's got to make money, which means it's got to have a market you can sell to profitably. You know, so so I think most of ideas we see are great ideas insofar as they actually solve a problem. Mm-hmm. But it's that other piece of the puzzle that makes it a bad one. You know, and that's the difference. So that's a really good way of looking at it. If somebody comes up and says, is my idea any good? It may be, but is it a good business idea? That's right. Yeah, I think so. Excellent. See, we're getting somewhere. Yeah, you should come on the team. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, you're telling me that my bucket is probably not going to work here in Brisbane and possibly not going to work anywhere where there isn't a lot of drinking and it isn't very hot. Mm -hmm. So it may not work in Sweden. Probably not. I don't think Maybe so. not. It's Maybe it's a heat thing. It's not going to work in a lot. So I need to go for countries in the equator. They drink a lot of beer. They drink a lot slowly. of beer. Yeah, very slowly. Or it's very hot. It's narrowing it down somewhat. So. <laughs> yeah. When you come back to looking at the TAM for those specific conditions that you need to sell this bucket, it ends up pretty small. Yeah. So if you were one of the sharks, what mm. would your feedback be towards this idea? Well, I mean, you'd be, I, I would be saying, look, you need to go back at your market size because it sounds to me like it's not a big one. Uh, the advice I would give, I think, is that you know, in bringing that idea to market, she's developed or you've developed a whole stack of skills. Like you've clearly been able to design something, get it manufactured and get it into country, right? Now, that's And I spoke useful. to lawyers and got it patented even though it's very simple yeah. and probably not worth it. Yeah, never mind. But, you know, so, so and this is the whole idea, as, as Steve said, of pivoting, right? So you've now got a skill set you can apply to something else. So there might be other neoprene, application of neoprene, you know, in uh, containers that that's useful. It might be medical samples that they need to keep cool. It might be that, and they currently don't do it. So I, I think it's not that your company has failed yet, but the idea will lead you to failure if you don't kind of, again, look for something that's got a decent-sized market. Mm. Stephen, if you were one of the sharks, what would you say? I think Tim's very correct. I think it's it's so narrow and so unique that I think it might solve a very legitimate problem, but the diversity of people that you can approach with that is probably going to be very limited. So I think that, like Tim said, looking at other ways you can apply that, like we did, we had the skill set in uh, distributed computer vision and we applied that into the retail space. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to take what you have and the skill set you have and reapply that in other areas where that have a bigger TAM. So we, in our robotics context, we didn't really have any customers who would come on board at this stage. I think we still felt that our idea was quite good, but I don't think it'll be a viable market for Mm. at least another five or ten years. Mm. So we had to reevaluate what we were doing and and go in a different direction. And I think the same sort of thing applies here. So, you know, it's very seldom that we tell people straight out it's a bad idea. Even though most mad out there lunatic ideas generally can have a possibility, and particularly if we don't really understand the market, it's very hard for us to say bad idea. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. I couldn't tell Steve whether his market was his idea was bad or not initially because I don't know what the market for that is. You know, They had to explore that, and they did through the process that we run the accelerator, and that's what led them to pivot. So that's the process that we kind of try and push people through. I think that's a, that's a really good point. I really like that you said that probably isn't a bad idea there's probably no such thing as a bad idea but there is such a thing as a bad business idea absolutely and sometimes it's a bad business idea for now yeah like maybe people are not ready for this right now guys this bucket it's for the future you guys just can't see it yet but Mm. i have a vision Mm. no but being real i actually um because my background is in communications and marketing and advertising i actually have an idea for this lady 
I think, <laughs> no, 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 listen, listen. I actually think, and you can also now listen to the uh, to when uh, Tim gives me negative feedback about my ideas. <laughs> this <be> one time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what if she created um, like a little esky bucket that you can change the advertising in? Mm-hmm. And then that way you, they can actually sell the advertising space in the buckets and then change from promotions. Well, I was going to push that a bit further. We should make this an Internet of Things bucket, a connected bucket. It's got a digital display that you can change remotely based on the data that Steve's collecting on who's coming into the door. Lots of females, female advertising. Lots of men, male and advertising. And all the women are ordering this certain type of beer. Absolutely. And, and then, then the analytics could go back yeah, to the yeah. company. You got it. And then the only other thing it needs to do is mine Bitcoin and we are home and hosed. <laughs> We've turned this idea oh, around, yeah. you know I think. It. Yeah, you know it. <laughs> so if you want to find out more um, about whether your idea is any good, Chapter 14 in the QUT Blue Book has, is my idea any good? Market Sizing for Startups. This is by Lisa Jenkinson, and it's actually a really good chapter and gives you tips on how to actually validate your market. Great. Huzzah. Well, thank you for letting <laughs> me take over your podcast, Tim. Well, it's been choice? so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stephen, for coming along and telling us about your experience in the Accelerator. Thank you very much. It was great to be here, and I hope it's encouraged some other people to go through the process this year. Awesome. Tim, would you like to let us know a little bit about the Accelerator when it closes and anything else that we need to know about QUT Blue Box? Other than it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the Accelerator applications close this Sunday, midnight, Uh, so if you're going to apply, you better get your skates on. 8th of July. Exactly. The uh, program itself starts on the 18th, so there's not much time in between. And it's uh, going to be amazing. Always. This year is has gotten so much better than last year. Other than Nevada. Yeah, of that sadly won't be. be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, closes on Sunday, so not too much time. If you are thinking about applying and you hear this in time, you're quite welcome to come and see Yod Tam or myself uh, at uh, QUT, Gardens Point, room D214, and we'll give you feedback on the application. Um, and keep an eye out for other programs we've got which support startups. Just head to qtbox.com.au forward slash entrepreneurship. We've got a range of programs there to help people at different stages of their journey. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram, on Twitter. But not All on that QT Blue Box. <laughs> okay. No, that's called stalking. Yes. Thank you. Until next time. Ciao. <laughs>